You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Romans 12, 17 to 13, verse 14. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger, that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, Respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. Do not owe anyone anything, except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. Besides this, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep, because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us work with decency, as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. As Katrin has read for us, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of this uh, wonderful, dense book called Romans. It was originally a letter 
And really, there's so many different ideas go, th- go through it. Uh, one of the things that stands up to me is we just get such a clear understanding of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, what's the message of Jesus. And, and something we've been saying continually, I mean, some of us, we geek out on it because we love doctrine. You love reading. Praise God. That's great. We need more people who read. Um, but it's more than just information. But the gospel of Jesus, it should practically impact the real living out of these lives. Like it should make a difference practically in every moment. And, and some of that is this understanding of things like judgment. Um, like that there is a day when judgment will be seen perfectly. Um, but when we think about things like judgment, a lot of us think about punishment. Like judge bad people and that's part of it. But I, I also like to think about judgment is that there is going to be a day when everything that seems so wrong will be made right. Things that seem so broken, there is going to be healing, restoration, things that make you cry, things that make you weep, things that break your heart, the evil that's been done. There is one day that there is a God who does know and he's doing something about it and we get to be part of that now, but there is a day coming when it will fully be made right. Like there's, there's judgment and that includes salvation. So it's corporately, but it's also individually. It's, it's each of us. And, and I guess as I was thinking about that, for some of us, the fo- path of following Jesus is really hard. I don't know if it feels hard for you. Sometimes it feels really hard for me, and I mean, this is my work, right? But sometimes, like, I, I don't have what it takes. This is, like, wrecking me. I don't have that much love. This is really hard. Why is there so much suffering? Like, different questions like that. But one day the promise is judgment also includes that the hard road of salvation, it will lead to an ultimate path of glory. There's going to be a day when there's no more struggling. There's just worship. There's just sitting in God's presence. There's no more wrestling with sin. Some of you have been fighting hard and you feel like you're fighting and you're swimming and trying to keep afloat and water just keeps coming in faster than you can stay afloat. There's a day coming when you will not have to fight that sin anymore. You're going to stand fully in glory. And, and I look forward to that day. And, and so today, we're, we're looking a little bit at that idea that we need to know what's coming, what's been promised, because that should help us then to live today. Knowing what's been given to us in promise in the scriptures, that should govern how we look today. And, and we see that, right? And, and we're going to look at it a little bit later in chapter 3 and verse 11. It says, wake up. The night is nearly over. Like what we're in, there is a day coming when it's going to be fully daylight. So live in light of that. And like we see today, that, that's also to meant to give us perspective for how we view our world. Like we've had a lot of doctrine up to this point, but what I love in these last few chapters, it talks a lot about our relationships, but here specifically, what are some of the relationships we're meant to have with our larger world? Um, it, it, it reminds me of our vision or our mission at the village, which is transforming lives and transforming communities. Mission is just a big word. Basically, how are we going to live out who we feel we are? For us, we believe one of the reasons we come together as a church and hopefully help all of you grow is that your life would be transformed. But when we say transforming communities, um, we don't just mean the communities here at the village, which, I mean, that's great. We want to see transformed communities here. But when we say transformed communities, the way I view all of you 
You are spending a whole lot more time outside of this place than you are in here. So what are some of the communities you're part of? What are some of the schools? What are some of the running clubs? What are some of the neighborhood associations? What are, you know, what are some of the communities that you're part of? And how can your life be transformed through your walking at the village so that we can send you back and share your life with others? That, that's really our mission at the church. We need to look outwardly. So let me pray for us as we dig into this. Lord, um, God, for me personally, as I've been wrestling through passages like this and others, it just heightens the, the reminder of how important your church is. And God, we, uh, we confess sometimes we just get it really wonky. Not just us here, but Lord, the larger church, and we lose sight of what you've called us to. But remind us, God, um, that we don't just exist for ourselves. You've put a whole lot of people within our circles to be touched by the good news of Jesus. So, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, you do some of that transformative work here. Lord, we, we just trust right now in this ridiculous proposition that one guy in front of a room talking, it's more than just a speech. It's more than just a TED Talk. You're actually... We don't understand how it fully works, but you're using that, Lord, as part of our transformation. So we trust in that right now. So give us open hearts, Lord. Receive whatever you want to say to us. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today's passage, we just see a few different examples of what does it look like for us to engage with our world. And this is obviously not exhaustive, but I think, and some of you, as you were hearing the reading, you're like, oh man, this is going to be heavy. There's some real practical examples of what does it mean for us to engage our world. One, uh, we're looking at what the scriptures teach us about our enemies. <laughs> about our enemies. You're like, oh, we just jumping right in, are we? Okay. Like, we're, we're given instruction how we're supposed to view people who we might have conflict with. And we see the passage. I'm not going to uh, fully read it again. We'll, we'll touch on it. But one of the things as I was reading this that really distinguishes the Christian faith from other religions is... Um, some of this understanding of the nature of human being, like what does it mean to be human? Because I think some, um, some religious systems, it's, it's this idea almost like, you know, we're all different, but we need to learn to see how good is expressed in different ways. That ultimately, even when you have conflict with others, we're all good. We just express it differently. Um, but Christianity, I hope this is not offensive. It, it might be a little bit, but it's this belief that God made a perfect and a good world. That when God made the world, he actually made it really good. And that anything that distorts that um, and makes it uglier, it's actually not good. As much as we want to say it's good, it's actually bad. Like we can call evil, evil. As Christians, we're not people who have to sugarcoat things or make excuses for what happens. We actually have freedom to say, there's some stuff that's really jacked up. It's terrible. And I'm not just, a, um, I'm not just insane because I'm bothered. There should be some things that bother us because we can call evil, evil. And one of the ways that this distortion of God's good design, one of the ways we experience it personally is in our interaction with other people. Um, people are beautiful. But people can also be some of the greatest cause of our hurt and our frustration. Um, I mean, the fact that it's here and Paul's telling these people, uh, don't repay evil with evil. He's assuming that you are encountering evil people. 
That's his assumption here, that there will be some people who even actively cause you harm and suffering. And, and passages like this and others throughout the scriptures, it reminds us that that's actually not abnormal. Like if you're experiencing enmity with people, if people, even because they know you follow Jesus, if they treat you worse, you should actually kind of think, oh yeah, the Bible talks a lot about that because we live in a broken, rebellious world. And it's something that every single one of us in different forms, we all experience. Whether it's active and intentional or sometimes it's not, some people will make your life terrible. I don't know if I'm allowed to say stuff like that in the sermon of Jesus Christ, but it's the truth. Some people will make your life terrible. And here's the part I won't get into deep, too deep because I don't want you all mad at me. You, you that to someone else, right? Sometimes. You that in someone else's life. And you don't even know it probably. In someone else, you are part of helping to make their life terrible. And here is this. I might be projecting here because uh, as I've been told, I got some anger issues I'm working through. When that happens in our world... The normal response is vengeance. I hope y'all are not judging me. That's my normal response. Uh, we want to retaliate. We want revenge. We love every Liam Neeson movie because it's all about getting the bad guy who's hurt us. If you haven't watched Liam Neeson movies, don't go do it. I don't want you to lead. The, but if you've watched it, you know what I'm saying. But there's something within us, every single one of us, it takes different forms. Um, we desire to make what is wrong right, especially if that wrong has been in our own life. If someone hurts you, you want them to experience payback. And, and here's the thing. Some of you are really nice here. You're moral, polite people. So you're like, uh, sinful pastor, sir, of your flesh. I do not know what you speak of because I am not Liam Neeson going on like trying to knock people. Um, sometimes it's overt or physical, but a lot of times payback is emotional. Like payback, vengeance, it doesn't have to be physically like knocking someone out. It can be emotional. Um, it can be harboring villainous thoughts against another, even if you're smiling while you do it. Some of you do that, right? Like you're mad at someone, but you're smiling because that's just, you've been raised from a nice home and you're like, that's what you do with people, even if you don't feel like it. But inside you're like, man, I hope they like trip over the curb or something. Again, I might be projecting or, or it might be withholding kindness, right? Sometimes when people hurt us, we're like, okay, well, I'm not going to go take revenge on him. I'm not going to be nice to them, though. I'm going to withhold. I'm going to save that for the people I, I truly appreciate. They don't deserve that. So how, however we would normally respond to those people who do wrong to us, here's what the gospel says, is that God has given us a different way. Um, as verse 17 says, do not repay evil for evil. Uh, here's the thing, though. It's really important for us to understand why we don't retaliate. Because we can just stop it there and say, well, good people don't retaliate against someone that's hurt them. Haven't you watched Bluey? You don't do that. Good, good little puppies and good humans, if someone treats you bad, you be nice to them. And, and like, we're like, okay, well, that's what good people do. The gospel goes deeper than that. Um, and it's important to understand because we don't have to do things like, oh yeah, you know, they just weren't hugged enough as a child. Or uh, maybe they're just having a bad day. I should cut them some slack. I mean, that's all good because that's empathy. Empathy is a real good life skill. It's good to be empathetic. Um, but what we see here is actually different than those things. It's saying, nah, son, that's wrong. 
You should not have had that do, you should not be experiencing that. This is, Paul's not advocating here being soft on evil. He's not talking about, well, just kind of just ignore it. It's not worth it. No, it's fully acknowledging wrong is wrong. And there's freedom in that. But here's what's different. What it's saying is that we can acknowledge wrong is wrong, but knowing who God is, again, living in light of who God is, we don't have to respond in kind. If someone has harmed you, you do not in Christ have to re- respond in kind. Um, when people hurt you, you don't have to find ways of getting revenge, or you don't, have, you don't even have to get passive aggressive in some kind of phony acceptance. You're free from that. Why? Verse 19 tells us, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it's written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. And what this is saying, guys, is there's freedom because you don't have to personally make everything that has been wrong right. That's, that's not your full responsibility. I, I want to be really clear here, and you're going to have a lot of really clear statements here. That does not mean... Um, that you don't have the right to say something if someone is doing evil against you. This is not trying to silence you if you are being uh, under like tremendous hurt or harm and active evil. You should say something. If you see that happening to someone else, you should say something. You should do something. This is not saying that. Um, I would say there's a certain responsibility to bring evil to light. What, what, what this is saying though is that the ultimate burden of justice is not on you. You don't have to live with, I have to make this right. I have to even out the world. Because we're told here, there is a judge who sees. And there will be vengeance. So some of us might be even cool with that. Cool. It's out of my hands. Here is the crazy thing. We don't just tolerate it though. We actively show kindness. Some of you are good up until there, right? You're like, all right, all right, all right. God is the judge. Get him, God. But it's saying you actually go out of your way to be kind to those people who you would call your enemies. But I, I want to be clear here. This is not just being nice for the sake of being nice. I mean, when you heap fiery coal on someone's head, that's not really something you do to your friends, right? It's an active acknowledgement they've done something wrong. That the reason we're being kind it, that it's appropriate for people to know that the consequences of their evil actions. This is not just saying forgive and forget. Actually, no. Um, be kind. Be gracious in all these ways. Be generous so that through your kindness, they might even be convicted of their sin. They might recognize sin. Because, and I've seen it happen after over and over, some people, they can get convicted of their sin, of their evil, when they experience undeserved kindness. It melts the heart. And what I would say with, that is, with this as well, guys, this is not just for someone else's benefit, because I guess I could leave it here. Hey, be a good citizen and love those, because you, know, you want them to... Um, it's not just for others, guys, but loving your enemies in this way, it's for you too. It's for you too for your freedom and joy. That's verse 21 here, right? Do not be conquered by evil. Because, and I've, 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 I struggle with this, right? Hanging on to a need for revenge, it does damage to you. 
hanging on to the wrongs that have been done to you and wanting things to be made right, if you ultimately feel that responsibility, it does something to you. It, 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 it harms you. It takes you to dark places. Some of us, uh, the deep emotional and mental anguish we have is because we've held on to the evil that others have done to us. And we haven't really been able to do something with it. And it's just, it's just like putting your head into a tailspin. It's putting your heart into dark places. And, and folk who've done you dirty, some of you, you've been live, letting them live rent-free in your minds for a long time. I mean, you got some squatters in your head right? People who've done stuff to you, you've just been letting them live in you, and you've been holding on to, to evil stuff that's been done to you, and God, he's inviting you to clean house. He's inviting you to freedom. He's inviting you to say, I see what they've done, and I will take care of it. There will be justice one day. You don't have to be the one to bring it. You can be free of that. So loving others is not just for their sake, but it's for our own. We also see Paul talking about governing authorities, uh, starting in verse 13, or chapter 13. And before I I jump into this, I want to just acknowledge here, because some of you, just Romans 13 gets you nervous already, right? Um, Romans 13 has been, I I think, used and abused by some in power to keep people silent. Like probably one of the most prominent examples is in um, the apartheid era in South Africa, a lot of people in power would go straight to Romans 13. Again, good Jesus-believing people. Hey, Romans 13 says this is all part of God's plan for you to live in this way. So come on. God's put them there. There must be a reason for it. Just um, And I think we got to be careful about taking any verse from the Bible and kind of applying it to all of life. we got to read the whole thing as a whole thing. Because mishandling of this passage and others, I mean, I think it could be really dangerous. I, I mean, I think sometimes it get real silly too. It get real strange. Like Romans 13 take people to strange places. Like um, <laughs> I, I, I was on social media once and no joke, right? I saw this one cat who for like four years during an administration was like railing on Romans 13. The Bible says you need to obey the governing authorities. So this is who God has put into place. So all of you protesting, all of you causing trouble, all of you, you are not obeying the scriptures. Romans 13 says to submit to your governing authorities. When the next administration flipped, no joke. He said, oh, that doesn't apply anymore because this is an evil administration now. I was like, Seriously, Holmes, you go in there? Like, it's, it's weird. It's like really, really strange to kind of pick and choose how we apply different scriptures. Here's my point. Wherever you land ideologically or politically, these things that Paul writes, I think for most of us, it can feel really offensive or at least just uh, really naive, maybe re- really impractical in our modern days. But what I want to encourage you is, like everything else, let's look at it through the lens of the instruction of God. What is the Lord inviting us into? And another thing I got to clarify here, if anyone takes sound bites from today and just says one thing, I'm going to get creamed, so don't do that. Don't. I, I think there's something we got to really clarify. This doesn't mean that all, in, all people are in authority are good. We need to be very clear about that. Um, when it says that authorities have been, into pl- been put in place by God, it does not mean he necessarily approves of their actions. 
It doesn't mean he's like rubber stamping. Oh, yep, they're mine. They're great. Because Paul, he wasn't writing this under the context of living under a benevolent leader. Like some of us might think, yeah, you know, that dummy Paul, he doesn't live like in 2023 America where our leaders are all crazy. And he, he, he was living under the Roman emperor Nero, like historically one of the cruelest world leaders, like one of the cruelest government leaders. So Paul was not writing out of some like weird, like in the sky, like not based in reality. I mean, he bore the brunt of living under that governmental structure. So Paul is not writing this in defense of authority. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind. He's not writing this as like an apologetic for why all leaders are good. Remember who he's writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to the people who are under the authority of these leaders. Because some of the ruling authorities we live under, they might be great. They might be benevolent. They might, they might even share your faith. Um, but there are some who are terrible. <laughs> uh, it doesn't mean we don't pray for them, but there might be some leaders who are absolutely like a train wreck. But whatever they are, it matters how you conduct yourself. God is not talking to the authorities here. He's talking to the people who followed authorities. He is like saying, whether they are great or whether they are just utterly terrible, you can't control them. What you can do is how you conduct your own behavior, your own heart. You don't have responsibility for how terrible the leader they are. What you have responsibility is for yourself because you belong to actually a larger kingdom. Your citizenship is not just of a nation, but it's of the kingdom of God. So that has to ultimately influence how you live under whatever authority the Lord has placed you in at this time. And I think what he's also saying here and this, this is going to ruffle some feathers here. Um, some of you are real like anarchist types, right? But he's saying we should actually want to live under a good government. He's saying a good government is, is not a bad thing because part of living under the authority of a government is doing whatever you can do to make that government as good as possible. You want the government you live under to not be a train wreck. You would actually like the government that you're living under, whatever your city, state, nation, you want it to be the best that it possibly can be, not just for you, but for every citizen within that place. Because I know, because of some of the corruption that we see in leadership and government, um, I know some of us, we feel like, yo, let's just get rid of all that structure. I don't want anyone taking my money. I don't want anyone telling me what, to, I don't want taxes. I don't want anyone telling me where I can live. I don't want to tell me where I can go. I don't want to tell me what schools I need to do, what shots I need to get. Get rid of the government. Every man and woman for himself and every child too. I don't think most of us really want that because that's like walking dead apocalyptic stuff. Every man and woman for herself, that is crazy land. I mean, I personally, I think it's kind of frightening to live in a scenario where every single person determines what's right for them. Because none of us live on an island. Every one of our actions and choices, behaviors, affects someone else. It's why he talks about taxes. Some of you are hoping I give a biblical 
a rationale for why we should stop paying taxes. And then you're going to call the IRS and tell them, yo, my pastor said it. And you're going to get me audited. So don't do that. Like, we may disagree on the use of taxes. And I think there's a lot of freedom in that we can have vigorous debate how the government uses our taxes. I think we absolutely can. But I think it's also helpful to recognize whatever you believe about the, just the ideology of taxes, that they are ideally put in place to support their larger good. Especially those who may be in need. You know who needs the benefit of taxes more than probably the people who are really well off? It's people who are not really well off. I mean, I just think of an example from our own family, early years of the church. I know you think we got into this because we were just going to be rolling in cash, right? But that's not what happened. My plans just all went awry, right? But I mean, we, I remember there were some services we benefited from in the city that there is no way we would have been able to afford them from our income. And I was like, Thank God for Baltimore City. I haven't said that all the time, but thank God for Baltimore City because there's no way we would have been able to receive these really good services. Some people can afford them on their own. We couldn't. Like there is a benefit from the ways that good government can operate. Because I think sometimes there's, there's a thought I've heard, man, we don't need government involvement in things. And some of you think I'm getting political. I am because politi- politics affect people. I'm not partisan. Some people though, they say, you know, we need less government in our lives. I actually kind of agree on that in some areas. We need less government telling us what to do, how to spend our money. Private individuals should be moved to do that. Churches should do that. Let's stop letting the government mandate our generosity and kindness and help for those. That is, I fully believe in that. There's one problem. We selfish. And there's a reason for government because people, even really good Christians, are not fully doing what we should probably be doing for our neighbor. There's a reason sometimes to be part of a larger population. We need things like governments because the people and the churches have not fully done what we could. And I'm not saying that as a right or wrong. It's just the reality, I think, of what it is, whatever you believe on taxes. But my point is, this is why a Christian has a responsibility to be aware of the issues in their city, in their state. To Part of submitting under authority, even in government, is to follow your conscience in voting for those who would exercise that authority. Like, this is not some uh, dictatorship. Like, being part of America, whether you like it or you want to leave it, is you get a vote. You get input. Even when those people are put in office, you still get input if you want it. And I think some of the challenge for Christians is we've been all like, yeah, government stinks. We're going to have nothing to do with it. When the Lord has seemed to call us to be responsible, if you're going to live under the authority of this, use your voice. Use whatever the Lord has given you to be part of it. Because living under government authority, it's not some passive resignation of how terrible everything is. At least in our democratic form of government, it's this privilege and responsibility that we have to do what we can so those in authority can help the greater good. I would suggest especially those in culturally and societally weaker positions of influence and power. So, I, I mean, I don't think this is uh, absent from any of us, but like many of you, um, this has been a really heavy week, just socially in many ways. Um, but even, you know, just in the past couple of days, just a lot of um, attention given to tragic 
uh, murder, I would call a lynching of Tyree Nichols. Um, you know, some of, some of you saw the videos from it. I, I'm, I'm actually very, very good if you didn't, because I don't know if that kind of trauma is necessary at this point in our history. We've, we know too many stories like that. And, you know, I, I think it's appropriate to grieve. I think it's appropriate to lament. I think it's appropriate to want better. And I think some of the pushback is when things like that and other tragic instances happen that reveal injustice, is to say, well, that's just what things are. That's just, that's just what it is. And, you know, as Christians, we just, again, submit to the authorities. That's what it is. Let's be respectful to the authorities. Let's tr- and, and I, again, this is not black and white. I think there's a way for us to be able to say, I very much disagree what's going on. And, you know, even in cases like this, I know one of the big points of debate was what kind of protesting is going to happen, similar to maybe the past few years with Black Lives Matters and just, is there going to be protesting? And is that right? Like, should Christians even protest? I, I don't think there's a black and white yes or wrong if you protest or not. You're, I mean, some people will say if you don't protest, you're not a good Christian. Some people will say if you protest, you're a bad Christian. There's really no way to win on that. But what I would say, it's a matter of conscience. Say, what does it mean for you to live under the authority of the governing structures you're in and for you to raise your voice, mobilize your advocacy, be involved in saying what is currently happening is not the way it should be. So when it comes to protest, I would actually suggest um, it, it, might, it might actually be appropriate in some circumstances. Um, but we need to also consider how do we protest in a way that honors Christ? I, I would suggest that includes a commitment to nonviolence as Dr. King and others have modeled. Like that if we do protest, we're not looking to just destroy. We're not looking to harm others. I, I, I would suggest, I, I believe, it's also a commitment, and this is really hard for some of us, to honor every single person as an image bearer of God. Whatever you believe about people, whatever you believe about um, whatever side of the issue, uh, you can vehemently disagree with someone. You can absolutely, especially if they're a Christian, you should be able to have a conversation with someone saying, dude, you are so wrong on this, and here's why from Scripture. We should be able to do that, but we do do it while not denigrating another image bearer of God. And here's the thing that I think some Christians we, we fight with. Someone doesn't have to be a Christian to be an image bearer of God. They can just be human. They might be like North Pole to your South Pole politically. What it means is you can disagree with them. You can protest against them, but you do it in a way where you are not trying to destroy another image bearer of God. Because how we talk how we write, how we post about another is a reflection of God. This is not simple stuff, guys. This is stuff you get everyone mad. But we're called to live in a way that maximizes, I believe, the impact of governing structures. But submitting under earthly authority, it also acknowledges the limits of government. That we submit, 
but it doesn't mean that we put our hope in government. We recognize it's limited. Because ultimately, we don't worship a donkey or an elephant. We worship a lamb. We worship the Christ. And as a Christian, your ultimate submission is to the Lord. And if the government is acting in a way that your conscience says is contrary to the ways of God, you should follow Christ in attitude and practice, even if it costs you. Because that's what, what the Apostle Paul experienced. He was respectful to the authorities. He lived under ter- terrible authorities in some ways, but he voiced what he needed to voice. He submitted under them, but he never gave up what he believed. He never whitewashed what truth was. He was unabashedly clear about what truth was. And you know what? At the end, it got him killed. It got him killed. This is hard stuff, right? What does it mean to look at our authorities as a means of expressing our faith? And we have a couple others. One, we have your neighbor. How do, how do we look at our neighbor? And when verse 8, when it says, don't owe anything to anyone, I don't think, and I know some money groups out there might get mad at me, I don't think the main point of this is the proof text against taking out loans. I, I don't think that's what it's saying here. I know some people try to weaponize that. I think the bigger point, though, is that there is a debt that we have that will never be paid, and that's our debt of love for others. That, that's the point of this, that we have much freedom in the Christian life, but that doesn't mean that we don't have our uh, obligations because our debt of love is final. That is the one debt that we do have towards others. Because as Paul references the Ten Commandments here, it's interesting to be reminded of the original contrast. And go look, at, look it up in Leviticus and other places. As you might know, the first commandments are vertical in nature. They, they like, you shall have no other gods before me. They, it's meant to be between us humans and God. It's vertical, but it's really interesting, interesting that the second half of the commandments are horizontal. They refer to our relationship with our neighbor. And that's what Paul is listing here. Simply obeying the Lord is loving your neighbor. This is not like seminary level stuff. Obeying God, if we are serious about God, it doesn't mean hiding out in a, monk, uh, in a monastery. It doesn't mean like separating yourself. It actually means if you love God, if you are worshiping God, you love your neighbor. You have a debt of love to your neighbor. It's why we have this question. Love the Lord your God. When Jesus was asked, what's the commandments? Hey, love the Lord your God. And I can picture homie walking away. Cool. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And love your neighbor as yourself. Oh. And in this, all the commandments are contained. And I think this has practical implications then for us guys as village. What does it mean for us to look out? Um, some of y'all, you might look at our church and you might be frustrated because you want like a something here every day. Like you want there to be more programmed activities in church. I want my like village fitness class here. And I want my village diet school here. And I want my village Bible study here. I want my village arm wrestling on this night. I want to do my fantasy. All those are great. But we are intentionally not going to program everything out the wazoo. Because we don't want you at church every day. That might sound like heretical to some places. I don't want you around this place every day, but I want you to be intentionally present so you can be around your neighbors. And when I say neighbors, I don't just mean your physical neighbors, but maybe classmates, maybe people you do life with who are not Christians. We don't want you to be so busy. Oh, sorry, Tony. We don't want you to be so busy and exhausted from church stuff. You're like, yeah, I got no time for anyone else. 
part of our mission is to prepare you and equip you to be around the people in your life, your neighbor. And it's the last point here, with integrity. It talks a lot about dark and light here. I don't think just talking about like nighttime activities are bad because I, I personally like the night. Maybe I'm projecting here. I like nighttime. My brain is active a little bit. But I think it's talking more about how we conduct ourselves, maybe who's seeing. So this was really convicting as a pastor because I think one of the bigger challenges right now just in being a Christian is church leadership. A lot of Christian leaders have lost a whole ton of integrity because talk a whole big holy game up front, right? Writing books and doing podcasts about what it means to be holy and sanctified and Christian and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then you find out stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Stuff that's happening behind doors. In the dark. And you know what? One of the most tragic things for me as a pastor is when I talk to someone who's genuinely hungry about Jesus, they're like, why in the world would I want to be part of a system like that? Where all your leaders are corrupt. And everyone used the word all, right? But you get it. Man, y'all a bunch of corrupt people. Money, money hungry, like abusive, you know, sexually immoral. You're worse than the people you're preaching to. Plus you want all their money. Why would I want to be part of that? Me and God, we're good alone. That breaks my heart. And what it does for me, at least, is like I need as much integrity as I can because what we have here, again, nighttime, it's not so much a time of day, but it's like acting like who is watching me. And we need to live life with integrity as others would be watching us. Because holiness, it's not just mere piety before God. Holiness is not just doing a bunch of activities that seems more Christian. It's preparing you to love your neighbor, to live like you represent Jesus. You know why? Because you do. We are God's representatives to our world, to our neighbors. And it really matters that we live with integrity. And my hope is that you're seeing how all these different things, they reinforce the importance of living in our world. Again, as I said earlier, it just heightens the importance of who we are as a church and why we do what we do. And that why, I think it's really easy to lose sight of why in maybe modern day, uh, especially in America, when we think about the church. Um, So I remember this, this little occasion. I was speaking at another church and this is not meant to shame this person. I think their intent was really good. But I remember it was, it was actually a city church. And after the sermon, I was just talking with some people. And I remember this one person came up to me and was like, oh, man. And I got to know them. They're like, thank you for the message. I love this church so much. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we helped to start this church. And this person said something that was like burned to me. He's like, I'm so glad for this church because I hate this city. I'm so glad to have a place that's so good to get away from the city. I didn't say anything because it's not my church, but <laughs> part of me was just heartbroken though. Because there's some, there's some truth in that. There's usually truth in most things. It's appropriate. And that's why there's church names like, like sanctuary or harbor because there should be a sense that we're coming to a place where people understand us in a way that the world does not, and that's a good thing. But we can talk about stuff. We can be real. We can experience healing growth. I think it's actually incongruous to say that you can experience growth apart from the church. We need that part. But, guys, but 
we do all this so to be prepared to be out in our world amongst those who don't know Jesus. If, if coming here and just being a cool club, if this is all that we're doing, we have really missed the boat. We've really missed the purpose of why God has given us all these wonderful things. I saw, this broke my heart. I saw uh, one pastor talking, or one seminary grad talking about why they decided not to go into pastoral ministry because they were looking at all the pastoral search listings. And basically he was saying, I don't want to sign up to be a cruise director. This idea that church, if we're not careful, can just be designing a bunch of activities to keep us together, keep us happy, keep us entertained, keep us from the bad stuff out there. And again, there is very much a need for fellowship. I'm not saying, we actually, I think, I love how we try to do that in church. We need to do it and do it even better. But guys, we cannot lose sight of the fact that God has done those things in us for us to enjoy but also to prepare us to see our world, see our neighbor. So I, I just be very, very um, straight. I think some of you have been coming to the church for a while. And it is so good to have you here, but I, I believe God is also giving you an invitation to take a step of commitment into church to say, I'm going to step from receiving some good stuff here to what would it look like for me to walk with the village as a partner member too? To not just be a consumer of the things of the church, but say, how can I use my unique personality, my gifts, my passions to make this even better than what it is? Because I like the village, but I think it could be better because it's not fully brought in all of us. We, I don't know if the word need, but I think we could greatly benefit from having you as part of this community. And if that's you, and maybe you're not even fully there yet, I would encourage you after today, come to Intro to the Village. Come to Intro to the Village and just at least learn. And maybe for some of you, God is prompting you, saying, you, you, you should be part of this church and take a step in that way. Because part of what being a church is, is we're reminding ourselves of our mission. Verse 14, I love it. It's what I was talking about with the little guys. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this reminder uh, because the reality is loving your enemies, if I'm doing a checklist, oh, I got an F on that. All right, submitting to your authorities, dude, that's like a D minus for me. Loving my neighbor, oh man, I'm just so tired at the end of the day. I got no space for that. That's like a C minus. And living with integrity, I don't even want to tell you, right? It's like, man, I'm like, I, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to be able to do this. And that's one of the reasons God has given us an outward posture because it shows us how we still need Jesus. Because the beauty of the church is we come together and we do that act of putting on Jesus. We remind ourselves, remember your baptism. Take the Lord's Supper. Remember Christ. I love, it's like the scene in Black Panther, that one line that always gives me chills. Remember who you are. And part of the church is not to just have busy churchy activities, but it's for us to remember who we are when we're prone to forget it. When life beats us up, when people stink, when the world is hard, we need the church to keep us on task, keep our eyes on where we're supposed to be. Because living in our world points us to Christ and to our revolutionary king, the one who loved his enemies, including you or me, you and me, who even on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them for they do not know what they do. The one who submitted under evil authorities. He had every power to bring down the angels and like just 
wipe them all out Avenger style. But what did he do? He went as the sacrifice lamb crucified, submitting under these authorities, knowing God was using it in ways that no one could even comprehend. He obviously lived with integrity. He obviously loved his neighbor. And he invites us as a church to do the same because he's our revolutionary king. I'm going to invite our music team to come up. And as we sing this next song, we're going to remember that. Remember who you are. And part of that as a church, we do the Lord's Supper regularly because we need to remember what has God called us to? How has God invited you to be part of his family here at the village so that we could be better together? And if you're a Christian, during this first song, come up, get one of these elements, hold on to it. We're going to take it together after the first song. If you're not a Christian, I am so glad you're here. Perhaps today you are at a place where you're like, I want to be part of this. I want to trust as Jesus. I would invite you to take communion, saying I trust in Jesus for my life. But it's not just about me. He's given me one another so that I could be in our world and represent him. So stand with me right now. I think one of, the, one of the ways God has always worked in my life is to not, not by me trying to be better by what I think I'm already good at, but by revealing to me areas that I still need to trust Jesus. And they kind of all hit me this one. Again, enemies, I harbor bad thoughts, memories, keep no record of wrongs. I can't follow that one. Submitting under authority, I hate authority. That's my eight, right? All these different things, but you know what it is? It's such a precious reminder of Jesus. It's a reminder of the one who loves me when I'm not able to do it. He loves all of you and he invites us. This is why we need him. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I would invite you to do that today. Bring the areas where you feel you're falling short and cling to the grace of the one who knows it all and invites you to his table. Lord, help us. Lord, we want to be a better church, not to prove anything to you, not to be outstanding to anyone, but Lord, we just want to be responsible with what you have entrusted us with, which is a whole ton of great stuff here. But Lord, keep our eyes focused on what's right and true and big, and it's to have a posture towards our world. It would never just stay with us, God, because we remember the Christ. We would remember the one who embodied all of this, and he gave us life. And Lord, it's also meant to give life to others and we want to keep passing that on. So I pray for my friends here, Lord, maybe we are seeing some stuff. We still need you. We put you on. We remember who we are. We live in freedom. So guide us, Holy Spirit, in this time. Let it be sacred, Lord, as we remember the power at work in the gathered church. So sing during the song, pray. If you want to come up, grab an elements and hold it with you till after the first song.